When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Meta, a podcast about podcasts, and I'm Peter Wells. Each week I'll be interviewing some of the best podcasters in Australia and around the world to help you find your next favourite podcast. Today I'm speaking with Rachel Brown from the ABC's true crime podcast, Trace. If you haven't listened to Trace, it is remarkable. Uh, Both seasons are fantastic, actually. And I say that as someone who doesn't even really like true crime podcasts all that much. I find them just a little bit too hard to listen to these days. But Rachel avoids some of the cliches and the the cringeworthy moments of most true crime shows out there. Season 2 follows the incredible, remarkable story of Nicola Gobbo who was a defendant to some of Melbourne's most violent criminals, while at the same time, somehow, being a police informer on those same criminals. It's a fascinating story, but before we get to that, I just want to ask you, Rachel, uh, what's actually been happening with the family that that were featured in Season 1 of Trace? I believe that there's been some uh, movement in the courts about some of the evidence you uncovered on the podcast. Sure. And thanks for having me, Peter. So in Season 1 of Trace, it was all about the now 40-year-old cold case of Maria James. She was a mother of two children, 13 and 11, Mark and Adam James, and she was stabbed to death in the back of her bookshop. Now, as I started investigating, it it looked like there was a series of suspects, but two of the suspects that I looked into were two local priests that had been molesting Adam James. Um, And so that, of course, provides a potential motive. You know, did they murder Maria James to cover up pedophilia? So I started looking to that. Um, one of the proudest moments of my career was after doing all that digging at the end of 2018, the Victorian coroner announced a fresh, a new inquest into this case off the back of my discoveries. So to give you an update about where that's at, Victoria Police was due to have its brief of evidence to give to the coroner last May. That came and went, and then the deadline was extended until January this year, and then that was moved to July, and now I'm hearing it's mid-October. So basically, that's a year and a half late. So I've spoken to the James brothers, Mark and Adam, and they're pretty upset. I think they just feel that this is never going to happen. So I hope that, I hope Victoria Police does have the brief ready come October. Um, And if it doesn't, I hope the coroner's court says, no, no more extensions. You know, let's do this thing. Yeah, it it was one of the better true crime podcasts I've listened to. And I'm not not just saying that because you're on the show. I I feel like I've hit peak true crime and, and I hit it at least two years ago, and I just could not bear. I mean, I, I loved the uh, the true crime uh, genre when I first kind of dove into podcasts, um, but then I just kind of go, uh, you know, it, it was emotionally so draining, and so I've skipped a lot of true crime podcasts. But th- th- there was a, a certain kind of care and empathy in in the way that you approached the family, the victims of that first season, um, that really won me over. Thanks, Pete. And that means a lot to me. And a lot of people say that, and I'm glad that that really shone through. And for me, this story, this investigation, it wasn't, I didn't choose it because it was a true crime story. And I thought that that would rate well. You know, I didn't think I want to do a true crime podcast. What story shall I choose? The story kind of chose me and some things that I'd learned in years prior. And I thought, well, what's the best way to investigate this and and to have this as a long form investigative piece? 
And so that's why I chose the podcast medium because there were various things about the medium, um, the intimacy. So interview survivors of sexual abuse, Adam James, who has a disability, who gets quite nervous with cameras in his face. The intimacy of the medium I thought would suit this story perfectly, but also the innovative elements of it. I wanted to be able to do certain call-outs for specific pieces of information, and I thought a podcast would suit that perfectly because I could say, well, does anyone know the lady who was driving down High Street the day of the murder? I need to speak to her. So it was, it was a... It was kind of backwards for me. I, I had the story first and then thought, well, which medium will it best fit in? Um, but I have now, as you said, I've seen this massive proliferation of true crime stories, so much so I don't know whether you heard The Onion actually did yes. a kind of a, a piss take um, called A Very a very Fatal Murder where it, where it uses or abuses all those tropes. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's probably a conversation that we all need to be having right now. I, I had it a lot at the time. The true crime should never be a voyeuristic thing. It shouldn't be for audience titillation and, and listeners going, where's my drip feed? I want another episode next week. That's the antithesis of what I was about. I almost get quite awkward when I get put in that basket of true crime because I didn't, like I said, I didn't start out thinking it was true crime. I just saw it as this family's quest for answers. So yeah, the the proliferation has been quite amazing, but I do think we need to be careful for all podcasters to stop that slippery slope of you know, using true crime and family's pain as entertainment. Mm. Yeah, and, and if you haven't listened to that Onion uh, episode or series, uh, you really should. <laughs> Although I could only make it through about uh, an episode and a half before I just felt too uncomfortable because it is too <laughs> too realistic. But let's move on to uh, season two of Trace. Well, to set the scene, Nicola Gobbo was a defence barrister. She she passed the bar when the gangland war was just heating up. And for people that don't know much about the gangland war, basically in Melbourne it was these rival factions duelling for control of Melbourne's illicit drug trade. Uh, Murders went from bullets in dark alleys to quite brazen ones at a local footy match, you know, a kid's Oz kick game in broad daylight, and police were losing control of the streets. So at the same time that the the gangland warfare was playing out, Nicola Gobbo was rising through the ranks as a defence barrister, and she was starting to represent a lot of these guys. So big names like Tony Mockbell, Carl Williams. The thing is, and, and what and this is why I decided to do a podcast on her, is she's a fascinating woman. Love her or hate her, she's fascinating because her role was to defend these guys and she has said to me that she felt she got to a point where she was scared of them. She claims they were manipulating her to do certain things. She says they were playing the system, basically. So they were using her to manipulate the way cases played out. She claims send clients to her that she would then make sure they didn't say anything that could implicate, for example, Tony Mockbell or Carl Williams. So she was feeling very manipulated by her clients, and this is the information she's also given to the Royal Commission that was, that's been recently called into her use. So she says she sought refuge in Victoria Police, that she needed help. They kind of opened the door for her, so she sought refuge in them. But the fascinating thing about her is that she says that it all changed and that she ended up being manipulated by Victoria Police in a way that she said criminals never could have. Uh, and is this a spoiler for later episodes? No, I, I know it's it's so hard to talk about these these kind of things that are real life stories using those that language of TV drama of like spoilers and things like that. But are there twists and turns coming up that you you are reluctant to tell me about right now, or, or are there still things you're you're working out as you're recording? 
Um, bit of both. So that that's a large kind of one of the spines of the series is it's somewhat of a psychological thriller. Why would someone who is, you know, might end up being a QC one day and earning lots of money, why would they risk their livelihood and their life to some extent to become a police informer? So I wanted to look at that um, and unpack all of that. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to look at, well, this didn't happen in isolation. You know, the, for her to be an informer it would have to be, have been facilitated and encouraged by the Victoria Police Force. So that is also an interesting essay, I suppose, and thing something that I look into in the podcast that did Victoria Police in this desperate bid, and they were desperate to end the bloodshed on Melbourne streets, did they, an organisation that is supposed to uphold the law, end up spectacularly undermining it? Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it's really hard to explain what Melbourne was like during that period because it was it was almost every other day that there would be a front page story about um, some incredible assassination. And like you said, you know, the, the one that I, I guess is the one that everyone thinks of is the two men being shot to death in front of a kid's football game. No, it was just like, it it was so over the top. It was so blatant, which is probably why it made such great TV because people were so (laughs) excited to see uh, how this all played out. Yeah. And we come to that in episode two, actually. Moran and Barbaro were shot in the front of a minivan and Moran's kids were in the back when they were getting peppered with bullets by a hitman. It was insane. Cops they just, they had lost control. And one of the detectives that has um, taken the witness stand said, you know, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because Nicola Gobbo was access to these people, access to fit information. We're trying to solve all these murders. We'd be criticised if we didn't use her help. So I've, I've tried to look into this, this story more than anything has kind of taught me that there is no, there's no truth. Like everyone has their own truth. Nicola's got her own truth as to why she did certain things. The Victorian police have their own truth. And guys I'm friends with in the police force will hand on heart say to me, we did the right thing. They sincerely believe it. Um, So it'll be interesting, actually, some of the findings of the Royal Commission. They're due to come out on the 30th of November this year, Um, but the draft findings are presented in August 31. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, where the commission lies blame. Mm. And so if I'm Nicola... And I have gone through a period where I feared for my life because the the best hitmen in Melbourne all want me dead. And possibly corrupt police might also have something in for me as well. How how do you get someone like Mm. that to trust you enough to, to tell their story on a podcast? A lot of this is thanks, firstly, thanks to my reporting partner, Josie Taylor. Josie had a relationship with Nicola Gobbo, has known her since her court reporting days. Um, that's actually where I met Nicola. Also, I was reporting on Tony Mockbell's cocaine importation trial, so saw her in court in those days. But Josie knows her from way back. So when I thought about doing this as a podcast, I reached out to Josie and said, do you think that you can reach out to her for me. And Josie said, look, I'll try, but I'm not even sure she's checking the email, the last email I had for her. So as you would have heard in the podcast, Josie emails, and then we got an email back from a different account. Um, And that was when we kind of just started setting up communication. She'd heard of me. Um, She made a comment that she thought that, you know, both of us, Josie and myself, were journalists of great integrity. And so I think that went a long way to feeling like, not that we'd give her a free kick by any means, but we'd be fair and we'd listen. Because you've got to remember at the time, a very 
I, th- I would argue, one-dimensional portrait of Nicola was out in the media. We learned basically she was promiscuous, she'd sleep with cops, she'd sleep with criminals. They painted her as one thing. And so I was interested in, in looking at the many layers of Nicola Gobbo. And so I think, I think she distrusted that Josie and I would do a fair job. And it, it just was, after that, was just trust building. And she told us that um, she felt snookered, that she wanted to give evidence at the Royal Commission, but she couldn't from where she was. I don't have kids, but she's got two little kids that she's got sole care of. And she said, I just don't have time to be putting in the work that I need to for a Royal Commission statement, for example. That will take me 100 hours. So when am I going to do that with two little kids? She was quite sick as well. So she was arguing, I need to come home to be able to give evidence. She told Josie and I that she'd been threatened if she stepped foot into Australia, Victoria Police would take her children away from her. So she was in a really tricky position when I first made contact with her. And I think that had a lot to do with her deciding to speak as well, because she felt her ne- her voice was never going to get out there. Which is fair. I mean, the the painting of her uh, on the front page of some of the tabloids was just incredible. It, it, it was embarrassing. So I, I can understand that that urge for her to find someone who would tell her story um, in a good way, or at least, you know, in a fair way, as you said. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But how long did that take? How long did that trust take to build up? Oh, that that was quite a long time, and... Like I said, she already knew Josie um, and she knew of me and I think she'd listened to Trace One, so she knew that the reporting that she was going to get was fair. But it was just a slow process, not so much building trust but also um, when the timing was right, you know, when she wasn't in one of her really sick phases or when the kids didn't have stuff on. Um, so it was a lot to do with that as well. You mentioned the the caricature that I talked of before. It was really interesting. I was I was talking with one of my friends about this who's a screenwriter, and she said, she said, isn't it funny that all these things that have been put out there about Nicola, my friend sees it as kind of a, like a magician's sleight of hand, like the distraction. So you're watching the distraction and you miss the trick, you know, and the trick is what we should be talking about, the, the conflict of interest issues, mm. the um, did she pre- breach legal professional privilege, things that I even saying now people are probably going, boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly. but but this is what we should be talking about. But for so long we didn't because we were talking about sex. Yeah. And I don't think people might go, oh, I should just say that because she's a woman. But I don't think that we would be talking about some of these things that have been published if, if it was a guy. I also, in the podcast, wanted to look at that. Has she been a scapegoat on that? She admits she did the wrong thing. I'm not an apologist for her. The podcast certainly doesn't see, seek to excuse what she did. She she did the, She did the wrong thing. There's more to there's more to that story than that. It's like, well, why? Why did she do it? And why was she allowed to do it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there is uh, – you, you can't – no matter how manipulative you might be as a character, you can't convince an entire police force to, to bend to your will, I, I would imagine. 
Uh, so, yeah, it, it's always been a strange way that it has been reported. Did you see the terrible, and I'm just going to say it, the, the terrible uh, miniseries, uh, The Underbelly, whatever it was? I saw it late one night. Is this, um, is this Channel uh, 9's, the recent one, Informer 3838? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, I think it was right at the end of, like, the first lockdown in Melbourne where I'd literally seen all of Netflix <laughs> and I got to that point where I was like, well, the first season of Underbelly wasn't that bad. I'll, I'll watch it and it was just shocking. It was so badly done. Yeah. So, I mean, it is fiction. So, I mean, it's television drama. So there are a lot of stuff that just was way off the mark. But surprisingly, there were a couple of things that I found really funny. Things that I think, oh, yeah, she would do that. Okay. There was a scene where she's by the pool in Bali and one of the guys that's supposed to be like a bodyguard, I suppose, but protection, but supposed to be kind of covert she calls him out and she's like, hey, Beaker. And I snorted with laughter at that because she had a, she had a habit of calling her mind as Muppets. <laughs> Fair enough. So that, I'm like, that is something that she would do. She is very funny. You know, she can be really funny. And she's, she's made me burst out laughing a couple of times in times that, you know, she's got a lot going on and they're really dark times, but she does have a really funny sense of humour. And that was one of the moments in that drama that I thought, yep, yep, she would totally do that. Uh- <laughs> Yeah. Oh, maybe I'll have to watch it again. So the first episode, there, there is some great tension built up in the in the audio when you're discussing the fact that again that you're you're going to visit someone who is possibly on a on a hit list uh, for some very dangerous people, um, and and the fear that that brought within you. Um, did did that stay with you as you were uh, recording the series? Um, yeah, to a large extent, because I mean. Yeah, I do worry about what certain players in that world are going to think about me and doing this, but I'm not, to a large extent, a mouthpiece for the people who's, who I've done interviews with. Um, so it's not, you know, my views, it's I'm, I'm recounting stories from other people. Going over there, yeah, I just felt like I was going to vomit the whole time. So much so I wondered whether I was doing the right thing because... No one wants that on their conscience. She is a woman in hiding, two little kids. Um, So, of course, I thought, am I doing the right thing by going over there? We, uh, hats off to the ABC, everything I was worried about, we made sure we went through constant risk assessments. This was done very slowly, very carefully. Yeah, I should have been really excited about it because it was the biggest interview of my career. Journos would kill for an interview like this, but just the stakes, like so many people would kill her and that couldn't have been more acute Mm. as I was sitting in the waiting room getting ready to get on the plane. But the reason I did it is because we did do everything safely and she was telling me that she wanted me to come. She wanted her voice out there. There was a very real chance that her voice wouldn't be heard at the Royal Commission. You know, that's what Josie and I were being told. So I feel a bit um, nauseous thinking back to it now, actually. Um, It was a very big deal, but we did everything as safely as we possibly could. And uh, so how many episodes should we expect um, uh, for this season? And do you have a little bit of runway um, just in case there are there are new things, new evidence that pops up as, as you uh, release these episodes? I think at the moment we're looking at about seven or eight and I'm writing <laughs> seven at the moment. So um, to launch with unwritten episodes is a bit scary, uh, but... Yeah, I'll just I'm writing away now and then depending on what happens with the council assisting uh releasing its submissions. So council assisting the Royal Commission and releasing its submissions on the 31st of August. So depending on what comes out of that, um some of those findings might be rolled into the series as well. 
Well, um, I think it's a fascinating listen, and if it's anywhere near as good as uh, uh, Trace Season 1, then I'm going to be uh, entertaining. Entertained is not the right word. You know what I mean. Um, I I'm going to be gri- gripped throughout the entire series. So thank you once again, Rachel, for, for joining me today. Thanks, Peter. If you haven't listened to Trace Season 1 and 2, I would highly recommend it. But based on the download numbers, I reckon you've probably had a listen. Either way, it's a great true crime podcast that is never sensational and always worth a listen. Next week, I'm going to continue the two episodes a week format that we're doing at the moment. So Monday, I will be talking to Matt Bevan of the ABC's America, if you're listening. Matt and I will discuss the 2020 campaign, the car crash that it is, and the last few long, painful years of the Trump presidency. And then, on Thursday, I'll be speaking to Sarah Steele of Let's Talk About Sex, and that is spelled S-E-C-T-S. Sarah's show is an independent podcast made just by her and deep dives into sex and cults around the world. It can be quite creepy to listen to, but it also has some great conversations with uh, survivors of cults, uh, something that has really developed over the years as she's been recording. I hope you enjoy both of those conversations when they come out next week. Please, if you like Meta, if you like what you're hearing, then tell a friend about it, get them to subscribe, hit their subscribe button for them. And if you have access to Apple Podcasts, please get on in there and rate and review it because it does help other people find this show. My thanks to Lauren Watson for designing the awesome-looking artwork, to James Smith who tweaks the knobs and fiddles with the buttons so that I sound as good as I can, and to the good people in the ACAR Sydney office who told me to make this podcast happen. My name is Peter Wells. You've been listening to Meta. I will speak to you next week. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Love you. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.